Hi there and welcome to the Music Talk Show, a show coming out of the Department of Musicology at the University of Oslo, where researchers who are interested in music and sound share a bit about their research. So this particular episode is going to be on the theme of music making in prisons, which is a complex subject. My name is Lucy Cathcart-Froden and I'm here with Anya Mangawang and um, we're both really interested in this subject. We're hoping to cover quite a lot of ground in the space of one hour. We'll be chatting about connections between music making and identity and mental health and also about how creative practices like songwriting can help address stereotyping and systemic injustice. So yeah, there's there's lots of meaty stuff there. But Anya, I wonder if you'd like to just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about how you first got interested in this subject because it's a super interesting story. As Lucy said, we're, we're both working on this project called Prisons of Note that's about music in places of detention. And uh, I first got interested in this subject many years ago as a young and enthusiastic musicologist. I was really interested in how YouTube at the time was going to change the game entirely for for music and for popular music in particular. Now that anybody could put up a video and bypass the the traditional record industry, but in my research, the one of the first videos I came across at the time was this video from the Philippines that showed uh, one thousand five hundred prisoners dancing to pop songs, and these videos were put up on YouTube, and they became some of the earlier viral videos that happened in the early YouTube days. And that is how I ended up doing research in prisons, believe it or not. So from watching one YouTube video way, way back when, uh, suddenly you end up doing a PhD on this topic and doing fieldwork in the prison itself over in the Philippines. It went from being something that I was looking at these videos that were recorded and made in prison to then looking at the actual musical lives that were happening inside of prisons. How were people using music in prisons? And that's how I ended up in Norway doing research on this topic because Norway has what I consider to be an unusually rich musical culture in their prisons. And so that's what I'm hoping we can look at today. Let's dive in by listening to our first track today, Holle Ut, by an artist, a hip-hop artist called Belizio. That was Belizio with Holle Ut. And for those of you who don't speak Norwegian, um, it's a song that's basically about surviving the experience of incarceration. And part of what we're going to be talking about today is how music can be a powerful tool in response to, to the violence of incarceration and the harm that it causes. We actually had the pleasure of meeting Belizio, whose real name is Emil, back in April this year. We had a really interesting conversation with him, which luckily was recorded. So through the show today, we would like to share some little excerpts of his stories and reflections on music making and incarceration. So I might just drop him in right now so that he can introduce himself. Uh, hello, everybody. My name is Emil, also known as Belizio. And um, yeah, I can start with telling you guys a little of my story. My story, I come from a very notorious youth gang in the south of Norway. 
or got to know the criminal justice system by a really young age, by the age of 13, 14. A lot of my friends were already incarcerated in uh, youth centers around the, the country. And uh, yeah, my, uh, my story, I was sentenced to six years in Spain when I was 18 years old. And I spent two years in Barcelona prison, in a youth prison from 18 to 23 years old. Yeah, music been a part of my life, my whole journey. My whole life, I've always been real in interested in, in music. I've been writing songs since I was 12 years old and I've been producing my own songs since a really young age as well. So when I got into the Spanish prison system, that was something I told them that I would like to, to work with movies or, or music. So at first, they didn't have no music program. So I wrote myself up in the short film group where they made short films and it was a real... Uh, real inspired teacher or that was real involving giving us internet access to internet and and also giving me access to download beats and and downloading programs softwares to be able to do my music uh, music uh, thing so after 2 years in spain i was in 2015 transferred to norway to gardermoen where uh, it was waiting a car and it was taking me all the way to ona to the west side of the country here I spent my two next years, so yeah, my two next years, and uh, and in this time I got to know Harald, and uh, and he was like first, first of all, it was a band. He was he was like organizing a band, and many of us we told him that he wasn't that interested in playing, interested in playing instruments, and most of us were doing rap because in that time we didn't have our own prison in the south of Norway. So a lot of my friends and my friends from my childhood was also sent to this same prison. Honor. So that's where we like we got the same our same group in the in the prison, and uh, after a few months he helped us organize the computer. He helped to bring some people in from Force Sound to help organize and download all the plugins and everything we needed to be able to supply ourselves with uh, with uh, the best programs. And that's where I got into the producing part of the music. I started producing songs and mixing and mastering songs for all the other inmates in the in Ona prison. And uh, yeah, I got the I got the techniques on how to do things and which programs to use, and it really helped me through my my journey and my my stay in the prison. I don't know about you, Anya, but whenever I like tell people that the work that I do is about music in prisons, most people go straight to Johnny Cash references, which is probably the most well-known example of like music having a place and being heard inside prison walls. But hopefully today's show will show just the incredible breadth and diversity of different kinds of musical expressions coming out of prisons, particularly in Norway, but also further afield. Do you want to tell us a bit about how that's organised in Norway? How does music actually happen inside prison walls? Yeah, absolutely. It's a good, it's a good question and one I'm asked a lot about. So in my research, I've done a lot of looking particularly at Norway and how music is organised in prisons in, in Norway. Um, and I was drawn to this research because Norway is so well known, at least in criminological uh, world, in, in the sort of study of prisons and in the study of law. 
uh, for being one of the sort of best prison systems in the world. And I was quite curious as how how does the best, the so-called best, and you won't see the kind of air quotes that I'm doing, but this idea of, of, of being the best in the world at prisons, well, how do they do music or do they use music at all? And so I, I had known about some things that were happening, some music education, some kind of opportunities for songwriting and things like that that were going on. But I was quite surprised to learn that there's really a whole world of music happening in, in prisons in Norway. Um, and I've kind of categorized them into four different groups. So you've got things like concerts and performances um, of touring bands, um, a bit like that kind of Johnny Cash model of coming around and doing concerts in prison. You just get bands, ordinary bands from Oslo or from anywhere who would like to put on some shows in, in prisons and they can apply or inquire, contact the prison directly and organise to put on uh, some gigs. So you see quite a bit of that happening. Um, and tours then, there's uh, tours happening among all of the different prisons in, in Norway because there's quite a lot for such a small country. But then you also have the sort of more traditional, educational kind of opportunities that people have. Everybody in Norway has the right to an education in prison. Um, so music is offered as a subject that you can take in the school education system here. So you can study music as a sort of school subject, learning instruments, learning theory, learning composition, things like that. But then you can also take it as a, a leisure hobby, it's something that you do in your free time as well. So several prisons will have music studios that people can have access to in the evenings after they've finished school or work. So people can, you know, set up bands, jam, have have a have a kind of a, a musical life, if you will. Um, and that also includes not only with others who are in prison as well, but also with staff. So sometimes you do see these kind of bands that are forming between prison officers and, and, and people in prison themselves as well. And sometimes it also even goes beyond that. You'll have collaborations happening between uh, people in prison and also ordinary citizens who go in to either sing in choirs that are a combination of what we call this inside-outside model of, um, of music making in prisons. Then there's also things like music therapy. I think Norway is quite unique because there's a, a music therapist in at least one or two of the prisons who's a, who's a member of staff. And then, of course, the most common t way that we have music in prison is, is always going to be this kind of individual listening that people do themselves and individual music making that they do themselves. I kind of like to borrow the term musicking, personal musicking, um, taking the kind of concept that Christopher Small has, has talked about. And, and this is, of course, the one that probably most of us do in our own lives as well, just listening to music on our headphones or you know, singing in the shower, doing any of these kinds of very everyday activities with music. And that's, that's probably the most pervasive way of, of experiencing music in prison. But there is quite a diversity of music happening in Norwegian prisons, which makes it a really uh, interesting place to, to do research. And there's an organisation called Musik i Fengsel og Frihet, excuse my dodgy Norwegian pronunciation, Music in Prison and in Freedom is the title of that organisation and uh, they put in a lot of work to make sure that there is music provision as broadly as possible, not only inside prison walls but for people post-release to be able to continue to be involved in musical activities. And I think it's important to say that even though the Norwegian prison system is generally recognised as, as one of or the most progressive prison system in the world, that doesn't take away what's well established now in criminological research that prison causes harm to people. Um, it separates people from their social contexts and from 
opportunities in life and and causes a, a great deal of social stigma. So when we think about music in prisons, it's it's a complex subject. It's something that we don't want to uh, just say, yeah, this is great, look at all this music happening. Um, yes, music can make a huge difference for people who are incarcerated, but at the same time, that shouldn't be used as a way of justifying broader systems that, that cause harm. But by looking at music and how it happens in prison, I think there are things that we can learn about how people heal, how people survive difficult experiences, how people connect with one another, and how people express themselves. And all of those are super important things. Absolutely. I think that uh, we can't underestimate the sort of way that music um, sustains Mm -hmm. us. And I think this touches on something that the criminologist Kate Herity has written about, of course. She has done a wonderful study of of sound in prison and she talked a lot about how music sustained the self and how it became a sort of a necessary component of psychological survival in prison. And we know this from other researchers as well, like Tia Denora, um, music psychologists who talk a lot about the importance of music and identity formation as well. So these are all really important things when you go into a, a space of control, a place of hyper supervision and surveillance um i think it's you know, exactly what you said lucy that you know even though sort of norway is, is often lauded as being this wonderful um progressive prison system and it is in many ways prison is still prison For anyone who's joined us kind of halfway through this musical journey, and if you missed the beginning where we introduced ourselves, this is the Music Talk Show uh, coming out of the Department of Musicology in the University of Oslo. My name is Lucy Cathcart-Rodian and I'm here with Anya Mangawang and we are involved in research on music in prisons and so we are chatting about some of the effects of music in prisons and some of the different forms of expression that there are um, and taking a little journey through geography and time uh, and over prison walls to bring you some interesting tunes. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. You mentioned the theme of identity there and that's a really key one, I think. Let's um, listen to another tune and chat a bit more after this one about... Uh, about that theme of identity. Uh, this is called Farhons Dumpt. Another song from Belicio. So we'll hear uh, him again. And um, this is a song he wrote in 2019 while he was uh, at Ona prison. And this song, yeah, it, it's in Norwegian, but uh, the lyrics are very much about that sort of prejudice that, that he experienced as being somebody who had been involved in the criminal justice system since he was quite young. And the the way that he was identified in society and talks a lot about the sort of heaviness that he felt walking around with this uh, label on his back, I suppose. So, uh, yeah, and the chorus just basically uh, talks about prejudice against him from, from basically from when he was born or before he was born even. So let's have a listen.
So whether you understand the lyrics of that track or not, you get that it's a banger, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to bring Emil back in just to introduce the song and tell you a little bit more about where it came from. The song is written after my prison sentence or after I got released from the prison and it's like taking up the, the injustice in the society and how it's very easy for, for people to point fingers. Like for me, for instance, my, my youth gang, we were like, very cat categorized in a really young age to be criminals. Like when you're telling somebody enough times that they are criminals, they will eventually turn out as criminals, right? When you tell somebody enough times that they're a criminal, they'll eventually turn out to be a criminal. I think that's a really powerful line that really sums up uh, what that track is all about and what his experience has been. In our conversation with Emil, we, we found out that he's currently involved in a lot of music work at youth centres where he's trying to get in touch with kids who are at risk of being criminalised and uh, trying to divert them into other more creative pursuits. The idea of like how you express identity through musical expression is complicated because it's about how you see yourself, it's about how other people see you, it's about how you mediate relationships, maybe how you deal with stigma... Um, also how you tell your own stories like from your own life mm -hmm. so there's a lot going on there and music can be powerful in that regard I, I absolutely agree and I think what Emil has said there in, in his interview about this identity that other people are giving you or constructing these other narratives you could even say about you how you're categorised, you feel labelled um, is a really, really relevant thing to say especially in our research um, and I know especially in the work that you've done as well you've done a lot of work in, in in different communities about changing the narrative when it comes to experiences of of prison and, and incarceration and how music can work to offer a new a new narrative and a new identity yeah I mean um, this is a really big question and one that could probably um, we could devote a whole a separate uh, show to that Previously, having been involved in quite a major research project in Scotland that was based on songwriting in prisons, um, we thought a lot about stories and how we tell them and what effect that has in the world. And um, in the research team of that project, which was called Distant Voices, you can look it up online if you want to. There's lots of uh, songs and material and writing coming out of that project. Um, and uh, one of... My colleagues there, Dr. Phil Crockett-Thomas, she talked a lot about the idea of enforced narratives. And this is an idea that comes from uh, the work of a historian called Carolyn Steedman. And she has traced back to, right back to the 17th or 18th century, I think, this propensity that societies have to force people to tell a particular story. So generally we're talking about people who are in a situation of marginalisation um, or deprivation or facing some kind of hardship. And, and systems force people to tell stories um, that kind of amplify the difficulties that they're facing or the trauma that they're facing or the lack or want that they have. Um, for example, in order to qualify for any kind of state aid or benefits or in order to be released from prison, or in order to gain refugee status, all of these things are mediated by systems and force you to tell a particular story. And that's usually quite 
a narrow story that focuses on the hardship and difficulty that you've been through or focuses on, on shame or wrongdoing or that you somehow have to prove yourself. And what these systems can do is to force people to tell that story repeatedly to the point where it becomes internalised and you think that you only have one story. And this is something that's really common, I think, for people serving a prison sentence because through the court system and the justice system, you know, there's, there are these stories that have to be repeated. And we all know that everybody is made up of more than one story. We all have like a thousand different things going on in any given moment. But it's, these stories can be so badly flattened by systems that that, that really doesn't doesn't come across so something that music and songwriting can do in any kind of creative practice really is to give opportunities to to bring out alternative stories to invite people to to tell stories of other parts of themselves um, of relationships or childhood memories or future hopes or things that hold seeds of alternative narratives for their lives sorry that was a bit of a long rant but I really care about all that stuff about stories (laughs) I think there's a good song that actually might come up now that would be a good one to sort of transition into. And this one is is, um, from another prison sort of in the west of Norway, um, Stavanger Prison. And this is Varg. Um, And this is a song that he has written about his own experience of being in prison. He's a drummer. And then when he went to uh, prison, he learned how to program a little bit like Emil in Belicio. He, He learned how to produce and mix. So he actually recorded all of the parts himself, wrote the song himself and does the vocals, guitar, drums, everything. And this is through assistance from organisations like Music Fengshelo Frihet. So these kinds of organisations play a really crucial role in giving people access to instruments as well as the time and uh, the facilities to be able to learn how to do these things. They help provide teachers and um, educators to, to work with people in prison. So... Let's hear a little bit of Out of My Mind. Having listened to that track a few times now, um... I think I'm really struck by the vocals because it feels like there's a there's a real sense of like restraint and calm in the vocal delivery even though he's obviously talking about an intensely difficult experience and I think it's almost more powerful than if he was to shout and scream about it because of that and and I think it's uh that kind of multi-track vocals as well has some has a, a that almost like a choral effect but he's completely by himself and the fact that he has recorded all of those parts by himself too sort of augments the listening experience as well and over the two years I think that he has was in prison anyway at this point had recorded something like four albums worth of music so there was a, an unbelievable amount of creative work coming out of, of 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 his experience in prison and something that he's reflected on is that idea of identity and how through like throwing himself into music that's shifted something inside him that he's able to see himself as a musician first and foremost rather than as a prisoner first and foremost so there's something really powerful there um about kind of self-identity 
Um, we'll make some show notes that have links to all of these tracks and more information about Musiki Fengshala Frihit, which supported the making of a music video for that track, which you can check out. Anya, should we shift our focus beyond Norway? Let's do that. Where shall, shall we? we go next? Well, I mean, in the project that Lucy and I are working on, we're we're focusing on three countries. We're limiting ourselves to just look at three countries, which is hard because there's a lot of amazingly creative work and really inspiring stuff coming out of many different countries. But in our work, we're we're looking at Norway, Iceland and the Republic of Ireland as the three sites. But one of the interesting things that I think it's important to mention about this is that, you know, the examples we've opened the show with are, are quite recent. They're all from the last five years. So, you know, it might give the illusion that this is a very recent activity, that this is something that's been happening only very recently. But it's actually, of course, not. People have been making music in prison for as long as prisons have been in existence. And in a variety of genres, you will have already heard, but the difference between the two examples that we've played so far, you'll you'll have everything from hip-hop and rock and um, indie folk, as many different genres inside prisons as you'll hear outside of prisons. Um, and it varies a lot depending on where the prisons are. So you'll hear differences in the music made in uh, Norway, for example, than in prisons in Ireland. In Ireland, there's a very strong tradition of Irish traditional music, and that itself has a, a very long and complex and beautiful history. Um, and a lot of that, too, is, is uh, from travellers, Irish travellers' tradition, too. So there's a very strong oral culture of songs that we have from the Irish traveller community. And these are often heard in prison, too, because Irish travellers are, unfortunately, grossly overrepresented in the Irish prison system as well. But yeah, these are the kinds of differences that you are picking up on when you listen and tune into the music that's heard and played and sung and written in in prisons in different parts of the world. One of the earlier examples, at least that we have in recorded form, is from Iceland, unusually enough. I mean, for such a small country, one can kind of imagine that there's not many people in prison to begin with, which if there isn't, it's a very small uh, small prison population that we're talking about. So it's all the more inspiring, I think, that this case study has come from there. Um, and this is from the early 1980s, from 1982 to be specific, a very, very small fishing village um, called Ayrabaki, which is a population of only 500 people. And, and it's uh, set in the really big lava fields, just uh, um, the lowlands south of Reykjavik. Um, and that's where the sort of main higher security prison is in Iceland. And in the early 80s, there was a band that set up um, uh, in the prison called Fjortra. And they recorded an album, their debut album called Rimlerok, entirely recorded behind bars, written and recorded behind bars. And it was actually um, distributed <laughs> by a, a local label, which Icelandic name I'm going to completely um, butcher, but Flitjendur uh, Wiener and published a thousand, a thousand copies of it at a time when the national population of, of Iceland was less than 240,000 people. So, you know, in its own way, had it quite a large impact. Anyway, enough of me talking about it. Let's, let's hear from um, Fjortra, and they have a track called Minning, which can be loosely translated as Memory.
I love this song, Lucy. It just so gorgeous. It's another banger, but in a very different way from Belicio. <laughs> very different way to Belicio. But there's something so, I mean, I'm a sucker for Hammond organ and synth pop and all of these oh, kind yes. of things. But it's just this uh, gorgeous riff that you hear. Such a cheerful melody. It really does a lot to point to how much joy there is in people. Mm. <laughs> it doesn't matter what circumstances you're in. And then sometimes you need to have a way to express that to be able to creatively get that out of you. And I, I think what one of one of the things I was really happy to stumble upon in this research was a, a review, actually, that, that this band got just when the album was released in a local Icelandic newspaper. The journalist reviewing the album gave it a glowing, glowing review and and actually mentioned that um, art never thrives better than in solitude and talks about how nowhere is expression needed more than in prison. And so no one should be surprised that uh, diverse material is sometimes created in confinement behind bars and that this album, Rimlerlock, is a small part of that pain. And I find it so interesting that even the journalist in through the joy of, of this album, because it is a very upbeat and very pop album, that it is still capturing that the pain of incarceration. Mm. And I think this is something that a lot of criminologists have talked about. Um, ben Crew, for example, in particular, he talks a lot about the pain of the pains of incarceration, the tightness mm. um, that is felt by these sort of carceral powers of, of, of being inside. And that music can act as that sort of release, this antidote to those really, really confining structural powers. We have got one more uh, country to visit in our musical odyssey. Yes. Would you like to tell us about what we're going to listen to next, Anya? Absolutely. And I'm really happy that we're we're ending with this last example because this takes us closer to home for me anyway. We're going to go to Ireland. And this example is actually just from last year, but it has a much longer history than that. And it also sort of ties in very nicely with the first example you mentioned, Lucy, of, of Johnny Cash, mm. the most famous um, example, I guess, of music in prison that people know of in popular culture. And so this prison in Dublin, Mountjoy Prison, they uh, had a, a tribute to Johnny Cash last year on the occasion of what would have been his 90th birthday. The prison choir, they have um, a prison choir in the men's prison. They're called the Mountjoy Prison In-House Voices. Um, and this is a group of men who are towards the end of their prison sentences. And they team up with an outside choir, the Solace Workplace Choir, a, a, a local Dublin Dublin-based women's choir and they meet up and they rehearse together and they put on this concert and recording partly of Johnny Cash songs and also to to record another song that has a very long history in Ireland that's um, The Old Triangle. Many people will know this song it's kind of become adopted into traditional music folklore at this point it's it's from the early 50s 1950s um, it's often attributed to the Irish writer Brendan Behan because it was used in one of his plays, but it actually was written by Dick Shannon. Um, but the song is quite unique because it's written about this prison, and Mountjoy Prison is Ireland's oldest and largest prison, located just uh, in the heart of Dublin. And so this is probably a unique prison because it has its own song written about it. Um, and the prison choir sing this song quite regularly, and it's kind of become like their anthem in a way. 
So nearly every public performance they do, they sing a version of it. And they've also recorded it too. So that's what we're going to have a little listen to now. The song introduces the happenings in this prison about 50 years prior to this. So it's actually setting up a daily life in the prison on the day that a prisoner is to be executed. And as the kind of song progresses over several verses, you hear kind of very Dublin signifiers in the music. You hear the references to the Royal Canal, the river going down um, past Mountjoy. You'll hear about uh, the everyday prison soundscape. You'll hear lots of references to seagulls wheeling and the wind sighing, feelings of longing. And then all with this kind of refrain of the owl triangle that goes jingle jangle, which is to reference a very large actual metal triangle that is, or at least was, beaten every day in Mountjoy Prison to kind of announce the various happenings of the day in prison life. But I'll say no more at this point and maybe let the song speak for itself. A hungry feeling came on Wow, Mountjoy Prison Choir with the old triangle. It's a powerful song. I think there's no um, getting away from that. And there's something so affirming and hearing all those voices in harmony together mm. it's it's just such a different again to to con- contrast it to the other songs we've heard from prison hearing a choir of more than 25 voices singing together has an effect it has a very real feeling um, that it captures yeah for me that's what grabs me the most mm. about this track is kind of imagining the room in which mm. it's recorded and people as they listen to each other and Mm -hmm. sing and create this sound together and the incredible kind of emotional effects that Mm -hmm. that has both the physical resonances that you feel in your body um, but then the connection to your kind of emotional life and well-being Mm -hmm. there is so much research about singing with other people Mm -hmm. and the incredible effects that it can have on your physical and mental health and that's definitely like a Another huge aspect of prison-based music making is is um, choirs and often the kind of inside-out model where there's mm-hmm. a choir on the inside and a choir on the outside that are rehearsing the mm-hmm. same stuff and then they come together and and they're able to perform together, which is a really powerful experience, I think. And I think it really just points to some of the possibilities for music mm-hmm. that allows for connections in ways that other things just don't. Um, it, 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 music sometimes, and not it's not to overvalorize music either because I definitely don't want to do that, but but there's very few opportunities in prison life where you get to connect with people on the outside. Yeah. I mean, that's just a given. Um, but for those prisons and for those um, places that allow these kind of collaborations, it really is to offer something really special for people mm. to be able to come together and make music together. I mean, if you've if you've ever experienced singing with other people, making music with other people, you know that the the, the kind of relationship that that builds. You you know people on a very different level, mm-hmm. and for for both sides of the coin, for for people inside to to get to know people outside, and for people outside to get to know people inside, it's a it's a way of again just um, shifting mindsets and getting mm-hmm. to know people on a different level. 
it's something that has been written about a lot in the literature. As you said, Mary Cohen is, for example, one of the most well-known and, and definitely one of the most published authors on this topic. And we'll include some references to her work in the in the show notes. But she has founded the Oakdale Prison Choir in the United States. And that's a, a really excellent example of, of how this has worked for several years. Unfortunately, they are in hiatus at the moment, though. They haven't been given permission to go back in at the moment and and, uh, continue the inside-outside model. So it's also a reminder of how fragile these systems are because to operate in any kind of prison context is always challenging and comes with a lot of restrictions or with right being revoked at any moment. So it kind of makes those performances all the more special, especially when you've managed to, to record them and get them down for posterity, I suppose. And going back to some of the experiences that I've had doing songwriting sessions in prisons in Scotland, um, there's also something about creating something together that alters the power dynamics between people and alters the relationships between people. What we did with the Distant Voices project was that we brought people together in groups for songwriting sessions. And so in, in a group of maybe 10 people, you would have some people currently serving time, one or two prison staff, um, maybe a researcher and uh, a couple of musicians. And something happens when you come into a space in order to write a song together. All of a sudden, the, the kind of predominant identity that we all share in that space is that we are songwriters and that changes things um, in terms of the I mean prison of anywhere on the planet is probably the place with the most established power hierarchies and power differentials but when you come in to create something you have to have some degree of openness or vulnerability which creates a pathway towards a different way of relating to people and creates even in the tiniest um, form, some kind of mutual connection or trust, there's potential for that. Again, not to sort of imagine that music and singing together is going to fix everything in the world because there's a lot of incredibly unjust structures that need some serious overhauling. Um, But there is something almost intangible about the connection between people that is fostered and nurtured when we make music or do creative things together. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I think with all of the examples, um, and probably especially the, the last one that you mentioned, and the songs, of course, that you have written and, and um, recorded from, from Scotland, we, we do sort of see how music does exactly that thing of, of communing people, bringing people together, um, or sharing voices with people that are otherwise not going to get access to, to hearing those voices through the recordings that come from inside prison. And you do sort of see this possibility for music and how how much hope it holds, especially in places of detention, mm. how it can actually create communities. Yeah, I think there's a lot of work going on in both in criminological research, but also in, in activist circles to do with how we imagine alternatives to incarceration. If we know that prison causes harm and reinforces cycles of violence, are there ways that we can imagine dealing with harm in, in different ways that, that are perhaps better at taking a therapeutic approach, considering mental and physical health and the support structures that people might need in order to uh, desist from crime, I guess, if you want to use a criminology word. Absolutely. And I think, I think uh, again, to draw back on the work of people like um, Mary Cohen, who talked a lot about 
music in prison as being a way of putting into action restorative justice, mm. that there are ways that we can build this into into society in ways that we just look for alternatives to to prison sentencing, that that doesn't have to be the um, the only way. Absolutely. And that links back to the, the idea of early intervention and pre- preventative work. And I, th- I think maybe we should give the last word on today's show to Emil. He's going to say a little bit about the experience of working with some kids who are on the borderline at risk of, of being criminalised and going through some of the experiences that he went through. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, um, we'll leave you with Emil's voice. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you. And have a great day. Me, at the moment, I'm working as a volunteer at a youth center in my, in my same neighborhood where we grew up. And many of these kids are already getting judged or prejudged by the, by the system. And you can see that they're falling out of, of society's frames. Still today, the way society treats and tries to cure the, these kids is not the, the correct way. 15 years or 16 years since we were doing the same thing and nothing has changed. They're still doing it the same way, pushing the kids further away from the youth centers. Last week or two weeks ago, I, I brought one of the, uh, the most vulnerable gang into the, into the studio and... Um, First of all, no, but everybody got easily distracted. You know, the kids today, they want to open TikTok. And I was like telling everybody, if you have the phone up, then work. Then try to write something down. And uh, as first as when one started, everybody started. And at the end of the day, they had recorded a song together. So you could see it. And everybody wanted the song to bring it back home, to show it to their friends. People in a vulnerable position or in pain, like in prison or, or in your life, in your youth, uh, creative work could really help you get out of these depressions and these circles that your your, your brain is, is getting into. And, uh, and that's why music therapy and art therapy should really be, be used more in, in prisons around the world and, and especially in Norway, yeah.